welcome to the Champs App Podcast, where we help players and parents demystify the world of minor hockey development and recruiting for both girls and boys. On today's episode, I talk with Elizabeth Wolf, who is the assistant coach with the University of Connecticut women's hockey team. We discuss her journey through Division Three hockey as a player and coach, go into detail about UConn, their new facilities and their current success, and of course, we also discuss the recruiting process. This was a great conversation with Elizabeth, so I hope you enjoy it. Before we get to this amazing episode, I wanted to give you an update on Champs App. We continue to make enhancements to Champs App, and this year, we will be adding some amazing new features to help with your hockey journey. Champs App is a digital hockey network. With Champs App, you can create a beautiful, free hockey resume. Whether you are a hockey player, team coach, development coach, parent, or advisor or agent, you can create a personalized profile that fits your role in the hockey community. Once your free profile is created, you can connect with team coaches, development coaches, parents, and players. No matter your role, you can now add key contacts to show everyone who the key folks are that you work with, work with you, or are helping you out. It's like the LinkedIn for hockey. If you are a player, when you connect with coaches, they will receive automatic updates when you change your profile, add game video, or alert them to upcoming games on your schedule. Just go to www.champs.app and click the sign up button to start your profile. You can check out the full list of the NCAA coaches using Champs app by clicking on the links in the show notes. We also have more exciting features coming soon to help you get noticed in time for the upcoming recruiting and training season. Now, let's get to this amazing episode. I'm very excited to welcome Elizabeth Wolf to the podcast. She is the assistant coach with the University of Connecticut women's hockey program. Originally from Larchmont, New York, Elizabeth attended the Hotchkiss School in Connecticut before playing at Middlebury College for four years, where she helped lead the team to three straight NESCAC titles. After graduation, she began her coaching career at Wesleyan College, where she was for three seasons. In 2021, she then made the jump to D1 Hockey and joined the UConn staff, where she's also been for the last three seasons. Welcome to the podcast, Elizabeth. Thank you for having me, Ray. Really excited to be on. Hey, so I uh, really appreciate you taking the time to meet with me. Just uh, like we do all of our guests, maybe uh, walk us through your hockey history and how you started playing hockey. And I know you have a twin sister. Maybe talk about playing hockey with your sister as a kid. <laughs> Yeah, well, spoiler, my sister did not play ice hockey, uh, but we can get to that point. So, um, yeah, actually, I come from a big sports family. Um, both my parents um, were involved in sports. They were sports writers. Um, and then I also have two older brothers. So growing up, wanted to be just like them. I'll, I'll admit I was a big tomboy. I wanted to do everything they wanted to do. Um, baseball was our big sport in our family, so no one had played ice hockey. So actually kind of a funny story how I got into it. I was just playing floor hockey at my elementary school. Um, and the, actually the high school hockey coach, uh, Mike Schiaparelli, shout out to him. He was the PE instructor. Um, and he suggested to my parents, Hey, you got to put her on skates. Um, he's the only one who will call me Liz. Uh, everyone else calls me Elizabeth or Wolfie, but, uh, my parents had no idea what they were getting themselves into. So I said, Hey, yeah, let's sign me up for ice hockey. And, um, this went from there and that's kind of how I fell in love with it right away. So it's about five or six when I started. Um, I'd skated previously with my sister. We did figure skating, but uh, during figure skating lessons, I would get off the ice and go hide under the bleachers because I didn't like it. So I think that was a sign that figure skating wasn't for me. Um, so yeah, I just started in like the, the mites, the house league, um, learned to play and, and absolutely fell in love with the game. So um, it was a new sport for our family. I was actually the only one that ever played. Um, my sister, we, we learned early on, I was pretty competitive. We could not play the same sport. Um, she actually wow. <laughs> removed herself from my soccer team because I was being too competitive. So um, 
parents learned early on just to have us in, in different sports. She played field hockey, um, but I played ice hockey. So just kind of got into it from there, started with the boys um, and where I grew up. I grew up in a suburb right outside New York City. So um, at the time, wasn't a lot of girls hockey, but um, was really excited and, and had a great chance to play with the boys there. There were a few other girls um, who were playing with the boys too, but I think that experience definitely helped me a lot um, and then ended up um, when I was about 12, looking at other programs. And so ended up going uh, to Connecticut, um, playing for the Connecticut Stars that then became the Mid-Fairfield Connecticut Stars. Um, and that's where I ended up playing a lot of my youth hockey. So Connecticut is, is essentially my second home. And I went to high school there too. So um, I consider that my, my home as well. But started in New York um, with the boys, the Maranek Tigers. That was the big program played for. And then um, ended up going to Connecticut after that. But yeah, once I was put on skates, it was kind of, um, history from there. And, and how did you end up at the Hotchkiss School? Um, like, how did you, what was your, um, you know, prep school decision-making process where you and your family, so that you ended up there? Yeah, so I was actually the only of my, uh, me and my three siblings, I was the only one to go to boarding school. So um, early on, I think my parents are, were against it. They're like, no, we're not sending our, one of our youngest. Um, I'll, I'll say I am two older, two minutes older than my sister. So I'm not technically the youngest one. She's she's not going to like that I said that, but um, she's taller though. So I'll give her that. Um, so I think growing up, I think I'd mentioned it. I've heard friends who've gone on to boarding school. Um, a lot of my teammates on Mid-Fairfield um, had gone to boarding school. So um, I was lucky enough to go to a private school um, called Red Country Day School, um, where all my siblings had graduated from. So it kind of started there um, when I was in seventh grade. I actually moved to Rye Country Day School um, early. My sister stayed at the local um, middle school um, just because I had the opportunity to play with the varsity girls team. Um, so that was a really cool experience for me being a seventh grader, um, playing with all these high schoolers, which was intimidating at first. Um, I took a, like a fitness test to make sure I was strong enough that I could handle it. Um, so that was a really cool experience just to be able to play up. Um, and learned from that. And Coach C was an, was an awesome coach there. I learned a lot from him, and he was a big part of my development. Um, and then as I was getting into high school, it was okay. If I want to play college hockey, should I stay here? Should I go to boarding school? I think it was my sophomore year. My my parents finally came around it. And I'm like, okay, like let's let's look into this. So I applied to several different prep schools. Went on a lot of um, different tours, things like that. And I think with Hotchkiss, it just it just felt like home in terms of going there. Um, loved the layout of the campus. Uh, most of the classes were in the same building, which was nice. And just um, the Coopers were a huge part of that. I also remember my my advisor, Bones. But I just felt like once I was there, it was, it was home. And my parents felt that too in terms of, okay, if we're going to let our daughter go away, we want to make sure she's going to be taken care of. And so they became my second parents. So I owe a lot to the faculty. Um, I don't think they get enough credit at prep schools of just what they do on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and they're part of just helping kids grow up um, and they are the second parents there. So I still stay in touch with them, um, which is cool. Um, and honestly, it was one of the reasons why um, I wanted to be a coach because I know how much uh, they influenced me and, and the impact they had on me. And I wanted to be able to be that person um, for someone else. So yeah, ended up there. Um, I ended up repeating my sophomore year um, just to give myself an extra year to get adjusted an extra year of development for um, ice hockey as well for the recruitment process. So I'm really glad I did that just to have another year. Um, it was kind of weird because my sister then graduated a year ahead of me. Um, but so she'll, she'll always br bring that part up. Um, she graduated before me, but, 
uh, yeah, so I spent three years there. Um, absolutely loved it. Learned a lot, just living on my own. Um, and I was also able to play three sports. I was big on that. Um, I played soccer, ice hockey, and lacrosse. Um, and I really loved that because I think I learned a lot from soccer and lacrosse. Um, and I was lucky to have um, three really good coaches um, with that piece. So I think just the whole the whole prep school experience for me was awesome. Um, again, being able to live on my own, managing the academics, the athletics, all of that. And then I'm still able to play for my club ice hockey team in Fairfield. Um, I had a lot of teammates on that too. So um, I definitely know I would not have been where I am now without going there. So I owe a lot to them, but I think um, definitely don't regret it. And I, it was the right decision for me with the people who were there. Um, the academic rigor is also just what I learned from the athletic side too. So um, I'd like to say I'm a Bearcat for life. What's great is that, you know, you're, you're still pretty young, so this is not that long ago. So for folks great. who are listening to this, you know, or thinking about going, you know, the prep school route, it's a great, you know, firsthand experience about mm -hmm. what you went through, which is not very different what, what than what folks would be going through great. today. Appreciate so, that, Ray. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So tell me about the uh, recruiting process from Hotchkiss to that, it, that where you ended up uh, going to Middlebury. Yeah. So um, I'll actually start it when I was 12. Um, this is a pretty cool story. I met, that's the first time I met coach Mandigo. Um, and he's a legend, I like to call him the goat. Um, he's the winningest coach in women's hockey. Um, and so he would just happen to be at one of my practices. And uh, my coach at the time, Mo Tarrant um, for the Connecticut Stars, his daughter, Shannon played at Middlebury. Um, so Mo and Bill are pretty good, uh, very good friends. Um, so Bill just happened to be at one of our practices and Mo comes up to me and he's like, hey, I want you to go up to that to that man over there and tell him you're going to play for him one day. I'm 12. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm like, okay, sure. So I go up to him. I'm looking up at him. Um, and I just said, Mo told me to tell you that I'm, I'm going to play for you one day. Verbatim. That's what I said. So that's the first time I met Bill. Um, now fast forward however many years, six or seven years later. Um I had heard he come to watch games. Um, he was big on writing handwritten letters, which I really, really appreciated. Um, anytime he saw you recruit, he'd write a or watch you play. He would um, write you a letter. Hey, Elizabeth, just saw you play at this tournament. Um, best of luck. Um, happy holidays, something like that. So I thought that was really awesome for someone to take the time to do that. Um, so I'm pretty sure I still have every single letter. Um, and he continued that in college too, um, in terms of just writing notes in the summer to each of his players, check in and see how they're doing. Um, so I kind of had Middlebury in the back of my mind uh, since since I was 12. Um, and then going through the process, I looked at a lot of NESCAC schools um, and also some Ivy League schools as well. And I'll, I'll admit now, I probably wouldn't admit it then, that I got stuck up in the, caught up in the D1 versus D3 um, and feeling like, oh my gosh, I have to go D1, make this worthwhile for my parents, um, all that. So I just went through the process and did some visits at um, NESCACs and then some Ivies as well. Um, and just kind of came down to where can I see myself over the next four years? And um, what? And I knew realistically at the time that's going to be my last four years of hockey. If, what, what do I want to get out of it? Um, do I want to maybe be on the fourth line um, in the stands or do I want to be able to go to a program where um, I'll have the opportunity hopefully to play more um, and also compete for a national championship every year. So um, just for my visits, I, I visited, I went to the Middlebury hockey camp. Um, so I think I always knew that's where I was going to end up. Um, and it's just a matter of, of making the decision. Um, but it just felt like home. And people say the broken leg test, if you don't have hockey, would you still be happy there? Um, and absolutely, um, I would be. So just everything, it checked all the boxes for me, um, obviously to, to play for, Coach Mandigo um, is, a, is a huge, huge thing and a great opportunity. So I'm um, very lucky for that. But now I look back at it like 
five, 10, 10 years later, you're not going to remember what division you played. You're going to remember the experience you had. Um, and so if, if there's any advice to give kids these days, I think that's, that's a big one. And because I got caught up in it um, and knowing at the time, okay, what are other people going to think? Do I want to just like say D1 to go D1? Um, so that piece of it too. But I think looking back, I have zero regrets and had an unbelievable experience at Middlebury and is ex extremely grateful for my time there and what we were able to do. So um, looking back, I think that was, that was the best place for me. Um, it was my home for four years and um, got a chance to be part of some, some really good teams, um, which was, which was big too. So um, I went, I ended up deciding, what was it fall of my senior year? Uh, yeah, absolutely love my time there. Um, I love going back there and I, and I still work the camp in the summers too, um, as a way to give back. So anytime I get to go up there um, is an awesome, is an awesome time. And, and sorry, one last question just about yeah, your, your, your experience. Um, for folks who don't know, explain just what the NESCAC is and what it stands for. Because, um, you know, we're, we're, there, there's a whole bunch of people who, uh, who you know, are in Western Canada, let's just say. Right. And they, they have no idea what no NESCAC idea. means and, and what it stands for. So just, yeah. just explain to them. And how it compares to Ivy in terms of the academic side of things. Mm -hmm. And so hopefully I can get this right. The New England Small College Athletic Conference. That's what it stands for. So New England-based schools. Um, and they're basically known as like the mini Ivies um, with that. So they're smaller sized. Um, I think Middlebury was 2,500 um, when I went there. Um, and yeah, I mean, the academic rigor, it's very similar to an Ivy in terms of you're getting an unbelievable education, just the alumni network as well. Um, and so when, when you go there, academics are key. It's, it's similar to an Ivy in terms of finding that balance between the academics and the athletics. Um, but yeah, if you're looking for just an unbelievable education, but also a great athletic experience, um, they're great schools. And there's obviously a lot of other great options too at Division Three um, and Division One. But um, that's what the NESCACs are known for is is basically the mini Ivies um, in that way. And then um, no athletic scholarships, nothing like that. Um, there is financial aid, but um, yeah, so you're going there in terms of applying on your own, um, things like that. But it's it's cool because because the NESCAC season starts later. Um, than other Division threes, so usually starts end of October. It used to always be November 1st. That was our date. Um, so you have a chance um, to do a few other things. You're still on the ice preparing in the fall. Um, you're just not with the coaches. So a lot of it's you have to be pretty self-motivated um, when it comes to the athletic side and training, but also just the academics because you know you're going to um, a rigorous school with that piece. But um, got to take a lot of interesting classes. I think the other big thing is that NESCAX are liberal arts schools. Um, so you can kind of choose whatever your path is. I had zero idea what I wanted to major in. Um, so it was very good for me, um, to be able to go to school like that and just explore different fields and different subjects and see, see what stuck for me. Beautiful. Okay. So we can go on forever. Uh, just talking about I know. the D3 experience and the NASCAC schools, <laughs> but, uh, we got to transition, um, into your coaching career. So yeah. why did you decide to go into coaching right after graduation? Yeah, I mean, I was very lucky. Um, it doesn't happen often where you get to go into college coaching right away. Um, so I'll, I'll just backtrack in terms of, um, so when I was deciding what I wanted to major, and I ended up with neuroscience. Um, if you had told me that my freshman year, I would have laughed in your face. Like, why, why that? And coming from my family where almost everyone was a communications or an English major, it was definitely different. But um, I just thought it was fascinating to learn about the brain um, how people learn, just, just trying to understand that side of it, like the science part of psych. Um, and I think that has helped me too, just with coaching in terms of trying to understand how people think, how everyone learns differently, 
um, just ways in terms of how everyone processes things differently as well. So um, just taking some of those classes. And um, I also got to take a, a class at Middlebury with Bill Beanie, who's the um, legendary men's coach um, with, it was a coaching class. So there's, at NESCACs, they have um, some schools called J-Terms. So you only take one class for the month of January. Um, and so that was a, a huge introduction for me just into coaching and, and fell in love with that. And then I always joke that my summer internships was working um, hockey camps in the summer as a counselor. Uh, everyone else was doing finance. So I was like, no, I'll just go to these summer hockey camps. So that was an introduction for me just to get to know the coaches um, on another level, right? You, you just think of them through the recruiting process and, and you're so scared and intimidated and just um, having conversations with them and um, also just being able to be a role model for the campers and I love getting to know them. So um, just being on the ice with the coaches and, and seeing what they were doing and then also having the interactions with the campers. Um, I think in my mind, I was like, there's, I definitely want to stay involved in hockey um, in some way. So I think it was probably my sophomore, junior year where I, where I first mentioned coach Mandigo, like, Hey, I think I want to coach. Um, so he's like, really? Okay. Um, so he was, he was great in terms of helping with that. And ideally I wanted to go, into college coaching, but knew that wasn't um, like the opportunities are limited in that way. So I was also looking at prep schools as well um, in my senior year and um, actually happened to know Jody McKenna from Wesleyan um, from one of the camps I had um, worked at in the summer called Ring Sports. So got to know her and I also looked at Wesleyan too in the process. So I knew her from there um, and I built that relationship. So um, I'd heard that she had an opening there. Um, you can also get your master's there as an assistant, which is which is awesome as well. Um, so just connected with her um, and was lucky enough that she wanted to hire a kid right out of college um, for that. And I'm extremely grateful for that because um, there I can't think of another place I'd want to start my coaching career. She was an unbelievable mentor, is now one of my really good friends. Um, and we, we talk almost, we talk weekly for sure. Um, but I get to still go to, to games at Wesleyan too and see those kids. So um, yeah, I think it was just, it was the right fit. Um, and it's a two person staff really. So um, you're doing a lot of stuff together, but um, yeah, I had a great experience there. And again, was just lucky that there, it just aligned where there was an opportunity right out of college and um, got to end up at Wesleyan. Perfect. So we need to get over to uh, UConn, but before we do that, what's, what's the biggest <laughs> thing that you learned in your three years as a coach at, at Wesleyan? Ooh, that's a great question, Ray. Um, a lot of things for sure. I think um, when you make that transition from the player side to the coaching side, and, and I think we joke like, we're like, what do coaches do all day when you're a player? And um, there's a lot of things that they do on a, on a daily basis, just in learning in terms of like just the day-to-day -day in terms of practice planning, all the other stuff like meals, things like that. So I was very lucky because um, Jody gave me a lot of responsibility. So I was able to learn a lot just through doing. Um, and made a lot of mistakes, but um, just to have her support and be like, no, and just encouraging me to keep going. Um, and I think just just being able to manage um, the roller coaster that it is in terms of the season um, and just the day-to-day -day pieces of it. And I think I was so like emotionally invested and emotionally attached. And I think sometimes it can get to a point where you're like, all right, you gotta just like take it, take a step back because you care so much about that piece. Um, went through COVID there too as well so learned a lot about just adjusting and, and adapt adaptability we did not have a season um so and we had to do the six feet apart they can be on the ice but no contact so that definitely tapped our creative brain um in terms of trying to come up with with fun ways to keep them engaged um with that piece as well and so i think it's just like the flexibility and, and adjusting um i think for me my first year i was uh, very like just 
concerned or wanted to make sure I drew that line between um, coach and players because I actually I played against um, a lot of the Wesleyan players, which was kind of weird. Um, so just drawing that line, I think I realized after that, like I also have this great chance to relate to them because I am younger and have that chance. And so just finding that balance between, yes, I'm your coach, but um, also being able to make those connections and be like, oh, yeah, I listened to that too. Um, and just understanding like that goes a long way. Uh, I think I look back and there's there's times I always, I mean, I reflect back on it a lot in terms of what I learned from Wesleyan, but that's where I fell in love with coaching. And I understand that some people, some people have a, a different experience in their, in their coaching and maybe they get out of the field. So I'm very lucky to have that opportunity where I had a really great first experience and that allowed me to say, hey, this is what I want to do um, for a living moving forward. Beautiful. All right. So we, we, we do need to get to UConn. So, um, you know, we had Caitlin Parker, uh, who was yes, assistant Parks. back in, in 2021, um, and she was on the podcast um, several years ago. But now, you know, it's time for a refresh. So maybe talk about, um, you know, how you ended up at UConn, uh, you know, uh, taking the spot where she was at previously. Yeah. So back to connections. Um, I had not met um, Chris McKenzie yet, but I knew Casey from Ring Sport. Um, and I actually didn't know if he knew or if he remembered this first interaction, but he had heard that I was going to Wesleyan. Um, and one of the first things he said, he's like, are you sure you want to do this? And I was like, is he being serious? Like, yeah, of course I want to do this. Um, but I think I remember being like, what? should I, should I, should I second guess this? Like, should I not be doing this? And I think um, I now look back and I now know what he was saying in terms of just what it is to be a coach, just um, what goes into that piece of it as well. So um, when I actually talked with him on the phone, when the UConn, um, opportunity, um, came up. I remember I was like, Casey, I don't know if you remember this, but this was our first, like my first kind of introduction to coaching. So, um, got to know him through that, through ring sport. He was unbelievable. Um, just, he's a brilliant hockey brain, but also just an unbelievable person. So, um, to get the chance to work with him every single, sorry. Yeah, and just to be clear, you're talking about Casey Handrahan, who's also yes, Casey one of the coaches yeah. on, mm -hmm. on Chris McKenzie's staff. So Correct. the three yes. of you are we the also, coaches. So, yeah. may, we also may um, refer to him as Prince Harry, which he doesn't like, but he looks just like Prince Harry. Um, so, yeah, I also knew Parks just, again, from being on the road. Um, she was awesome in terms of just I was a young coach and um, coming up and talking with me and getting to know me. And so because um, the, the women's hockey world is small, as you know, um, when you're on the road with the same coaches or you're working the same camps, you just get to know each other. So that's a really nice part of it is, is when you're on the road because um, traveling and all that can, can feel lonely at times, but you know you have this group of people that get it. Um, and so that's always fun, too, just to, to see those people. So. She had um, reached out and was like, hey, was, was wondering if I was um, done with my grad school at, at Wesleyan and then just um, talking from there. And she's like, I'm just trying to gather some names. And um, I knew about UConn growing up, obviously playing hockey in Connecticut, going to school there, um, not being too far. I knew all about UConn and just the women's basketball, which a lot of people knew UConn for at the time. But um, I also had uh, high school teammates that went to UConn as well and had a great experience. So knew a little bit about that, but um, I was just lucky, lucky enough that they wanted to hire me for whatever reason. Um, and so, yeah, I knew Casey again through that connection, but then also getting to know Mac through the process. And he was unbelievable just with how he communicated with me, the transparency. Um, and it was still kind of the end of COVID. So um, I think at one point he's like, Hey, do you need to see campus? Um, and I was like, honestly, for me, it's all about the people. So um, it can be, worst campus in the world, but, and it, which is not the case. Um, but, uh, at the end of the day, it's all about the people. So I just knew just talking with them and how they run the program. Um, I also really re respected that 
this is now Max, I think 11th or 12th year. Um, and Casey had been there the whole time with him. So just that loyalty aspect as well. I knew I was going into a family atmosphere with, with people who really cared about um, once obviously the program, but also where they were with UConn. Um, so just again, working and learning from them every day is, I, every day I'm, I'm so grateful for it because they're just a great group and, and the rest of our staff too with, with Meg, our athletic trainer, um, and then Matt Lamalfa, our new um, hockey ops and equipment manager. So it's, it's a family within the family um, and they make just the grind that, that is coaching, but um, every day just like you, we want to go in and see each other and also want to see our players. And that's, that's the biggest thing. So that's kind of how I ended up at UConn. I think I, I consider myself very lucky with, with how I ended up at Wesleyan and UConn um, with that piece. So I think it's just making the most of that. Um, and I'm extremely happy with where I am and I can, can see myself there for a while again, because of the people and just, um, where the program is at and our culture too. Beautiful. All right. So let's talk about university, university of Connecticut. So it's right. in stores, Connecticut, most yes. people don't realize this, I bet, but there are actually <laughs> five D one women's, uh, hockey teams in Connecticut. So sacred heart, Quinnipiac post Yukon, and of course, Yale. So mm -hmm. D1 hockey for women is pretty big in, in Connecticut, especially yeah. compared to uh, Michigan, which has still zero women's hockey D1 teams. So <laughs> that that's could a be separate a, that's conversation. That's another podcast. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So uh, maybe just talk about the school um, uh, and the facilities. Uh, you know, you, you have that new rink, the uh, Toscano Family Ice Forum. The beautiful Forum, one behind you. Which yes. has been upgraded since uh, my last conversation. So maybe just talk all about uh, about Connecticut, the school, and, um, you know, the facilities of uh, and, and things like that for the hockey program. Yeah. So um, we'll start with the school in terms of, and I remember I was on campus of like a while ago, but then when I when I went back on um, for like my interview and walking around, I was amazed by how much has been built since the last time I was there. So like even people who've been there five years ago, it looks completely different. Um, so they've done a lot of building um, specifically with the athletic facilities. So um, it's pretty cool. It's pretty much one athletic street with all the buildings. Um, obviously football is off campus, like their main stadium. Um, and then we have Excel Center in Hartford, but that whole athletic street, Jim Calhoun Way has basically been almost entirely redone within the last five years. Um, so that's really cool just to have really up-to-date facilities. And then our new rank, Toscano Family Ice Forum, um, is the latest thing to be um, updated or to, to be built. And then they're also um, going to do a big field house project as well. So I think just to be at a school where you know how much they um, support athletics um, and you can see it obviously with the buildings is huge. And um, I like to say like there, you won't find a school that supports its, its female athletes more um, than you kind of think a big part of that is obviously the women's basketball team and what they've been able to do. Um, but yeah, from the academic side of it, they just built a brand new STEM building as well with new labs. So um, to see just how they're constantly rebuilding and just, just new things and new resources for its students um, is pretty awesome. Um, to see that piece and they're building new dorms as well. So um, that's really neat too. But I think a lot of people think UConn's like in the middle of a city, middle of Hartford. It's not. Um, it's kind of in its own little little spot in stores. Um, but it's it's a great feel because you get um, the campus extremely safe. Um, we never worry about our players walking around. Um, but you have a great downtown that they've built up too in like the last 10 years um, with some great restaurants. And we like to say too, if, if you want to go to Boston on an off weekend um, or New York City, you can easily because um, you're basically kind of halfway in between, a little bit closer to Boston. So, um, but then when you get back to UConn, it's okay, this is my home. Like this is my community. Um, I'm going to really like the distractions, that piece. Um, and so our players definitely make the most of it in terms of what 
UConn has to offer from that piece of it. Um, and I think we also think with, with our student side, like the campus would be huge, but it's extremely manageable in terms of walking around. Um, a lot of our players have scooters. Um, so they're, they're big on the electric scooters. That's, that's a big form of transportation. Um, so now they can get to places in like five to eight minutes, which is nice too. But then from the athletic side, yeah, we got the new rink. It opened last January. So we're coming up on a year, um, the beautiful rink behind you. Um, and we like to say it doesn't suck. Uh, we are very grateful for this opportunity. And I think, um, too, it's actually like a few a few hundred feet from, from Freitas, our old rink. So it's pretty cool. You can see with how the rink's set up, um, you can see Freitas through the glass. So you, you, get a like a, you get to remind yourself, okay, this is where we came from with that piece. And I think for us, with the new facility, we want to be able to bring the character, our identity from Freitas over to the new rink. Um, because I think it's at the end of the day, and again, it comes down to the people and say, we can have the nicest facility in the world. If you don't like who you're around on a day-to-day -day basis, it's not going to matter with that piece. So just being able to bring that character aspect and um, our, our style of play over to the new rink um, was huge for us. But um, extremely happy for our players. I think one of my highlights and so far at UConn was seeing our players when they stepped in the rink for the first time. Um, and so we did it little untraditional, we, we moved in um, in the middle of the year. So I think it was January 2nd last year where they moved in. And so walked over with their hockey bags, both the men's and the women's team walked over, which is really cool. Um, they did not see it at all through construction. So they, they saw it going up, um, but they never got to walk into it until it was complete. So for them to just walk in, like there was just tears um, and to see how much it meant to them and how excited they were was was amazing um and just like super rewarding to see through through a coach's eyes and um just remember them walking around um everything they just a lot of screams a lot of tears and um i think one really cool memory was one of the first nights um and we were in the new rink i think we were just happened to be there late and i walked by our, our new team lounge and the whole team was in there just watching a movie together um, with blankets pillows and just to see that piece of it and how or eight like using that new space um they made it all worth it um with that piece so um yeah i mean we we're very lucky we have like i said the team lounge we have dry lockers um really great team room and um, we were lucky in the process i kind of came through it at, towards the end of it um but how much they value the coaches um just input when it came to the ranks so making sure okay what what do the men's team need versus the women's team so um for example like our our locker room space is a little bit smaller than the men's, uh, but that's that's designed on purpose so that we have a little bit more of an intimate feel because we have fewer players in the men's side. So just little things like that um, and taking into account what each program needed um, was really cool. So just to be, to be involved directly in that process um, was really cool with that piece. But um, yeah, it's nice. We now have a gym um, right there. They now walk 200 feet to the to our locker room where they used to, we used to lift, um, there's like five or six, um, we're very lucky in terms of just the athletic facilities, like five or six places just for student athletes to work out. Um, and so they would take their scooters or walk over to the rink after lift with how our schedule worked. Um, and in the middle of the winter, being their big, big coats um, coming over, uh, we think it built, it built character and made them tougher with that piece of it. Uh, but now just to have that where uh, the efficiency there in the gym. Uh, we have an unbelievable training facility with that. And then just being able to walk over um, right into our locker room. Beautiful. Okay. I got, the, here's the most important question of, of okay. our conversation. Why are 20% of the Hockey East women's teams and 7% of all women's college hockey teams called the Huskies? Wow. Look at that research, Ray. 
That's a, can you now can you name them all? Of course. Come on. All right, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Well, St. Cloud State, which would be the hardest of the ones to get to. Then obviously yours. Yep, just, and, uh-huh. and then they're the Howling Huskies of uh, Northeastern. So mm-hmm. the other so, Huskies, yep. Yeah. So wh- why why are there so many teams called the Huskies? It's a great question. I don't know. I do not have an answer for you. Um, maybe it's an, an easy mascot to pick. <laughs> that piece. Yeah, that's fascinating. So so, but related to that though is you you're the, the Huskies. The Yukon Huskies this year are tied for first in Hockey East with uh, with uh, Boston College. Are you surprised how well your team is doing, especially considering the other Huskies have been so dominant the last several years? This is the first time they aren't probably in first place. Um, we're not surprised. I think we knew the what our potential was going into this season um, and also knew with our league um, and still Northeastern is still a great program, um, but obviously they lost – um, just a, just a few very good players. Um, but I mean, yeah, they graduated their top line. That was extremely dominant for five years in the league. Um, I think it was like six, 600 plus points or something crazy like that. So I think we knew just with what teams were losing, um, that this league was going to be wide open and it, it could be anyone's to take. And I think that's still the case where you see the results in our league and everyone's beating everyone. So it's cool. Just, you just don't know what's going to happen on a given weekend. I think it makes it really exciting. Um, but I think we knew in terms of, hey, this is what our potential is, um, and just just believing in our process and, and focusing on us and what we need to do on a day-to-day basis and not worrying about what other teams are doing. So I think for us, it's we're now in a new spot where we say it's, it's easier to be the underdogs, um, but now when you have a little more of a target on your backs, you're going to get everyone's best game. Now you're dealing a little bit more with expectations, but I think it's, Again, get back to, hey, what are we doing on a daily basis to prepare um, and focusing on ourselves first, not worrying about what everything else is happening. So just take care of our business first and and go from there. So I think it was a really good start. Um, and I think we learned early on from the, from when we got swept by Boston College early on and then kind of were able to go on a run um, of eight or nine games, um, which was great. And then... Um, we, and then it was awesome to be able to play in the nutmeg too with we had three top 15 teams with us, Yale and Quinnipiac and then Sacred Heart. So that's a really cool tournament to play in uh, over Thanksgiving. I think we learned from that as well. Um, and so obviously we're in a good spot, but now it's as as we say, it's, it's about how you finish, not where you start. So it's now, okay, now getting into the second half, taking it game by game and, and going from there. But no, we aren't surprised just in terms of what we we knew our, our potential. And I think um, our players too, having that belief and confidence um, and knowing where we could be as well. But I think it's now the focus is just focus on us. Don't worry about rankings, anything like that. Um, it's now, again, what are we doing um, daily with practices and preparation to make sure we're bringing our best um, to every game and, and playing to our standard. Beautiful. All right. So let, let's talk about building that team to that standard. Um, one thing that I learned, uh, you know, preparing originally for uh, my first conversation with Caitlin was around this performance mindset, um, coaching to connect, which, uh, you know, um, a guy named Gordon McFarland put together around culture and identity. So maybe just talk about, um, you know, where you guys are at today with uh, using the leadership council and even like personality assessments to help kind of do the team bonding and learning about each other and and build doing a lot of team building. Mm -hmm. So we still do all of that. Um, Still in our program, I think, um, what I really res- respect um, and appreciate coming in is in terms of the culture that's been built. It takes time to do that. It's a really hard thing to do, but what Mac and Casey have done as well as our players in terms of buying in um, and it's in such a great spot now where it's upperclassmen lead, lead the underclassmen. Um, they show them the standards, the expectations. Um, and so for us as coaches, 
um, they make it easier in terms of we we know what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis, the trust aspect and, and the accountability player to player, but also ownership. So um, we're extremely lucky with, I mean, coming into UConn, I remember the first couple of weeks, I'm like, I've never seen a team more bought into just being all in with our systems, how the pride they take in representing UConn. Um, and again, it's like we went from one facility to another, but that didn't matter to them. They were it was more about day-to-day -day basis. They were extremely grateful to be at UConn um, and take a lot of pride in that. So that's that's been huge just to have players who are extremely bought in, and that makes a huge difference. And I think we've been able to get – we always say, like, we may not be the most talented team on paper, but because of, of how our group works together, um, we're able to get the most out of our team. Um, and I think a lot of that goes back to the culture and just the people that we are, were able to bring in. So, yes, the personality questionnaires, the DISC, we still do that. Um, I actually filled it out when I was going through the interview process, which I thought was really cool. The personalities, and we have all recruits figured out, um, they they fill it out, and then um, our current players, too, so we have a profile on all of them. But just, just something that I think is really unique in terms of, um, one, for us as coaches, it's great because we get a framework in terms of, okay, and going kind of back to my, my neuroscience background of how do people learn and the best way to, to give them feedback, which I think is really cool, um, and, and understanding everyone's different. Um, and sometimes, you, sometimes you're going to get it wrong, um, but if you can go back and just be able to have the op open communication with them in terms of, hey, how was that? Or do you want it like, how do you want, do you want it to be delivered a different way in a game just to have that open communication? So like at the end of the day, we want them to make sure that they feel they're in their best spot to succeed um, and play their best game. So as coaches, having that, that open communication, it's not, it's not a one-way street, it's a two-way street. Um, and then being able to give, give us that feedback too. So I think it's a great introduction for us to them. Obviously we get to know them through the process as people and their parents too, but um, also just being like, hey, this is what your, your disc said. Would you say this is accurate? And hey, do you like to be taught this way or get feedback this way? Or what's the best way you learn? Um, things like that. And then I think the other great part of it is that they learn more about each other as teammates. Um, so it's, it's a big part of our culture. Um, we try not to put like, like don't talk about it in terms of like all, all the time. That's just one of the many things that we do um, just to help with that piece. And so, hey, get to know your teammates as, as people first. That's the biggest thing. Um, and for us to, to show them that just one way to show that we care in terms of, hey, what are you like as a person first? Um, and then the hockey, hockey will come after, but getting to know them as people first um, is the biggest thing with that. And then still have the leadership council um, as well. We think that's been a great way just to help develop leaders and get different perspectives um, from different classes too. Um, we have a great leadership group this year. Um, it helps when we have some grad students. Um, so we have four grad students. And at this point, when, when they're in their fifth year and we say it's like, it's like their bonus year. So they take a lot of, they're just really grateful to have that, but, um, they can be like, they're, they're almost like second coaches in a way because of the experience and what they're able to teach, um, the underclassmen. But I think one of the really cool things about our team is that if you walk into a locker room, it's very hard to tell who's in what grade because of how well they get along. So there really is no hierarchy. And we have grad students that are really good friends with the freshmen and just how they're able to teach. So for us as coaches, it's awesome to see. Beautiful. All right. We can keep talking about this stuff. I see now. I, know. Your, your, yeah, your I told background. you, I was going to get excited about it. Uh, I can see why your background totally fits the the, the kind of the, the culture of the team you can see, and, right? and yeah. how the coaches. Yeah, so it's, I, I see um, why it all makes sense. So well, I need to get more moving into the recruiting side of things. Let, let me ask you this. Uh, so you mentioned all the grad students that you have. I noticed you yes. still have a couple of seniors. You also have like 25 players on your roster, and I know at least six 
you know, incoming, you know, did the research for, right. did the for research 2024 right. and I got six for 2025. Anyhow, separate to that. So um, I, I don't know if the, the players who are the seniors are planning to take an extra year, but you're going to have at least 25 players next year, maybe 20 up to 27. So how, how are you going to handle, you know, um, managing such a large roster? You know, will, will, are you you're hoping for either transfers or, you know, are you going to need to have conversations about scratches and things like that? Like, how do you manage, you know, the whole lineup, given that, you know, you may have 25, 27 players on your roster at any time? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that's hardest, probably, if not the hardest part about being a coach, right? If, if that piece, and um, we've kept probably a smaller roster um, than some other team that you might see um, for a reason with that piece. Cause um, we like to tell um, but like, if you're coming to UConn, you're coming to UConn for a reason. And we want to make sure everyone has a chance to show what they can do with that piece. And I think if you have too many at times and, and coaches will always say like, what's the perfect number, right? There's no perfect number, how many scratches to have, but you're, you're constantly thinking about that. Uh, but just be able to make sure it's, it's an experience for everyone. And, and playing time is a big part of it um, with that piece. So I think, um, how we've handled it in terms of it's just a case-by-case -case basis with that piece, um, with, with our seniors who are coming back for, um, fifth years, we've had some kids that have hit, gone back to Canada, um, cause most of our, most of our team is from, um, Canada, but, um, they go back and get like a teaching degree there. So it's really a case-by-case -case basis and, um, working it from there. Uh, but we want to be very, we're very cognizant and, and want to be very mindful of not having too big of a roster. Because again, that's going to take away from everyone's experience with that piece. Um, I think obviously too now with where our game's at and just how much more physical it's gotten within the last few years, um, having a few extra bodies um, helps us too. Um, just because you're just seeing injuries you can't control um, because of that impact, those those impact situations. But um yeah, it's a, it's a thing that we talk about um, a lot as a staff, just to see, again, keeping those things in mind. But um, for us, we've had, we've been grateful with the, and, and lucky with the transfers we've gotten. Um, it's not our first thing that we look at. We say, if we can have a, a kid come back um, who's been with our program for four years and wants to come back for a fifth year, that matters the most to us in terms of, hey, that's a kid who wants to come back to us. Um, and they've given so much to our program for four years um, to be able to give them. So if we have have the room or have the space, um, um, we want to make that work if we can because of that piece. So um, every kid's different. It's just having that conversation with them and, and seeing where they're at. Um, and it just be like, again, the open communication, the transparency is big for us. And that, that's the same thing it comes down to when making lineup decisions. Um, want to make sure that we, again, have an open door policy where they can come in and talk with us and, and just check in to see where they're at. Um, that's one of the things that I really respect and admire about um, Coach Mack and, and Casey, um, but with 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 Mac as the head coach, like when our players walk in, he's the first one you see, and he has the same energy every time. He you can just tell how excited he is to see the team. Um, he's such a character in terms of just being able to balance to um, when to be serious, but also when to joke around. And so when you walk in, you see your coach um, dancing around, just really happy to see you. It makes such a big difference. So um, I think that that's been a huge part of our of the culture that he's built is for them to like being approachable, like being able to come to him. And um, when, again, when you have that energy and you know how excited he gets to be at the rink every day with the team and how much he loves our team, um, it just, it's infectious in terms of that energy. And so it could be, no matter what we did on the weekend, he's going to have that same energy coming in um, the, f the following following Monday. So um, to answer your question, I know it's a loaded question, keep talking about it, but 
we just try to take it um, player by player, um, person by person with that piece. And Understood. All right. So uh, you mentioned, you know, Canadians, the, the majority of your current roster is Canadians. And then mm -hmm. I noticed of the, the 12 commits I've been able to track down, nine of them are Canadian. In fact, all nine are from Ontario. <laughs> so um, what's, what, what's with Ontario and finding, uh, finding players? Yeah, I mean, um, and it's not like we always just go right there. Um, we're going to look all over. Um, there's great players from, from all over, both the U.S. and Canada. But I think it's just been we've been able to find, like, our type of kids and players um, in Ontario. And so um, co both uh, Casey and Mac are from the Niagara Falls area. That's where they grew up. So just have a lot of connections there. But um, I think that league there, um, OWHA, is, is an extremely competitive league. So we've found the kids that – have gone through that league and um, been able to come to us. They've been very successful. And I think the preparation piece, because it's so competitive with that. So I think too, some of it's like, Hey, you, you know, one person who's had a really good experience at UConn and it kind of just, just filters, right. It's infectious with that piece. And so um, it's kind of worked out that way, but um, we, we still, we still recruit all over. We don't just recruit in one spot. Um, we'll go over the U S all over Canada to find. So we're just looking for, for our type of kid and our type of, of player um, with that piece and who can fit into to the culture aspect. So um, it just kind of happens to work that way. And I think, again, it goes back to the, that family-like atmosphere. Um, and that is one of our, our core words is family. Um, and for us, it's, it's family academics, hockey. Um, that's, that's how it goes. And we've had, a, we've been grateful and lucky to have a lot of siblings that have come through. So I think that speaks to it too. Um, but again, it's players know each other and then the connections. And I think it's, when someone has a really good experience, um, that can that can really help with that piece of it. So um, it's a, it's a really fun group. Um, a lot of the parents drive down together for weekends, so um, it helps with that way. I learned a lot about Canada in my first year. I literally had a team map going of okay, this is where everyone lives because I learned the provinces and everything. Because um, being from New York, I did not know a lot about Canada. So the cool thing too is that it doesn't. The end of the day it doesn't matter where they're from. Uh, we might have some debates about Canadian Thanksgiving versus American Thanksgiving and the different holidays, but um, yeah, it just it just happens to be happens to be that way. Um, but it can change each year and ten. But we still like we're, we're recruit local um, and also just all over the U.S. and Canada and um, even in, in looking into Europe as well. So I think with the way women's hockey is going and how much it's growing, you can you can find um, great players anywhere with that piece. And so I think it just we found this little niche here um and have been very very lucky with the kids that we've gotten from those areas and just what they've given to our program so um hopefully that continues um but yeah again it's just that's how it looks and then um but it doesn't mean we just recruit in that one area and and for the record your your leading scorer uh jada habish is from minnesota so Correct. where i'm currently at yes so. yeah all right um just got a time for a couple more quick things right. um so so uh, once again, we have a lot of parents and players, uh, potential recruits listening to this podcast. Um, just so folks understand, you know, how you do recruiting, can you be specific about which events your staff has been to during this season so far, um, and even maybe ones that you go to, so they can get a feel of where you are scouting, so that they know these are the kind of events our team should be going to, so that mm -hmm. we're being seen. Maybe just talk yeah. about that for a second. Yeah, great question, right? And, and I think now, more than ever, there's so many different events, right? And so, especially in the summer, um, there's so many different showcases happening. And so I think it's, we, we like to tell um, players if you can, is like, Hey, just, just try to pick a few. You don't have to do all of them. Right. Cause again, it's, it's your summer at the end of the day. And um, we find too, sometimes um, you can get burnt out by when it comes to August, cause you're doing so many. So I think it's finding the ones that are best for you, but 
Um, I think the major ones, like the U.S. Canada Cups, are big um, during the season. Um, right now I'm out in Minnesota. The holiday tournaments, that's another big one. Um, USA Nationals, um, I think those are down in Florida this year. So um, get some sun, some sun going there. Um, Provincials is another big one for um, Canada and, and OWHA. Um, and so I think those 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 big events, and then uh, we're lucky with our location too because we're we're so close to Boston that we can easily hop in a car and and go watch some local games. Same thing with prep school too. Um, but then in the off season, we'll we'll travel a ton. We'll we'll go out to BC, um, different places like that, um, just to watch different things too. So there's there's those major ones too. But um, we like to say too, if you're someone who's in not necessarily like a, a hockey hotbed. With the technology now, it's huge um, with it, what we have with Instack going, but um, being able to send video, it's not the only thing we'll use, but just sending video of your shifts and being able to go from there and um, just being able to get yourself some more exposure. Maybe it's, okay, you're going to go to a, a summer camp um, out east um, just to get seen. So I think um, it is awesome just where we're at, where if you can get some video going, for, if you're not from a traditional hockey area, um, that's a way to get exposure to start. Um and then kind of building it from there. So we understand travel is expensive. The the sport of hockey is expensive too. So I think just to have the video and, and that, those resources now is awesome to help to help with that. Perfect. All right. So um, looking back on your time while you've been at UConn, um, <laughs> when you think of the recruits that, that you've been involved with, how many have been folks that reached out to you versus how many folks that you reached out to them? Like, how are you actually figuring out, you know, the matchmaking? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's it's a balance, and I think it's it's a combination where you have kids who reach out, and obviously coaches get a lot of emails, but um, being able to, okay, hey, hey, here's this kid, and if we get an email, we want to try to see that kid play as much as we can. So whether it's the big tournaments, um, other smaller runs, so it's probably been a combination or we've heard from a coach, like, hey, um, you should look at this kid, um, kind of go from there. So I think it's a lot, a lot of the – but for us, we want to be able to, we're big on, it's all of us see a player play. It's not just one coach's recruit. Um, so for us as a staff, we want to all be able to see a player play. To answer your question, long story short, I think it's it's a combination. I couldn't tell you in terms of, again, what the percentage would be. But um, I think for kids to understand it. And two, if, if you don't hear back right away, it's not the end of the world. Um, it's just like the persistence piece. Everyone's probably going to be different. So everyone's going to find their own, what's what's the best fit for them. So um, whether it's someone reaches out to them or they reach out to the coach, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. It's, it's just being able to find the best fit for that player. Perfect. And you lead into my final question. So what advice do you have for players or the parents who can then start talking to you on, on the upcoming June 15th? Yeah. Um, I think now too, with, again, with all the resources that we have at our hand with Google, social media, all that, um, just really doing your research. I think that's the biggest thing. And I just touched on it, but um, everyone's process is different. Obviously now with social media and, and everything that's out there, um, it's hard to not compare yourself to others, um, but just trying to, to come up with, with, hey, what are some things that are really important to me in the college process? Um, whether it's based on division or what you're looking for in a school um, and just really doing your research from there. And Yes, the hockey is a part of it, but being able, hey, do they have something that maybe you're interested in majoring in? Um, does location a factor for you? How big a school is? Um, and just being able to see as many campuses as you can. I think there's no way to recreate the feeling of being on campus without actually physically being on a campus. Um, so you get a sense of it through videos, through social media, but just being able to physically be on a campus and walk around, it's like, okay, I can, I can see myself here for four years. Um, and again, going back to, 
what's the best fit for you? And and the best fit for me is going to be different from the best fit for you, Ray, as you know. So um, just really doing your research and due diligence with that part and um, trying at the end of the day, it's everyone's process is different. So um, I think it's like, oh my gosh, so these, everyone's committing now, what should I do? Like the panic button almost, but just again, everyone's process is different and where you end up at the end of the day, it doesn't matter in terms of how that process went. It's just, okay, did you find your future home where you know you're going to be happy? Um, and there's so many great options now, obviously just new programs are popping up Delaware, the latest one. So just to be able to, to find those. And, and again, really just doing your research in terms of, um, you, you can hear about certain names, but then also like, okay, let's like, let's just do some more. And then again, really finding that right fit for you. And I think a huge part of that is being able to see campuses. So even if you can't meet with coaches on campus, um, if you happen to be playing a game in an area where, okay, you're near some college campus, hey, why not just go walk around in between games? Um, or if you happen to be there just for a tournament or something, um, just to get a feel, because I think that that compare and contrast is huge. And honestly, just being around a campus or, or, or driving through a town, things that you didn't even think about um, or new factors might show up or like, oh yeah, actually, that, I think that does matter to me. Um, and those are hard to, it's hard to get a sense of that without actually seeing campuses with that piece of it. Beautiful. All right, Elizabeth, thank you so much for all the great information. <laughs> I know, that we can incredible. keep chatting, as you can tell. Right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. It was great learning about your hockey background, especially learning all about uh, your D3 experience, both as a player and a coach. Um, obviously, all the amazing things that are going on at the University of Connecticut and the women's program with the new facilities and what you're doing with the team. And then uh, thank you so much for all this recruiting information and, and advice. So thank you so much for doing this. Absolutely. Well, I just want to say thank you, Ray. I mean, what you're doing for women's hockey um, with the Champs app too, and just having these podcasts is awesome. Um, just from on behalf of coaches too, just love that the exposure. Um, and again, if this can help one player going through the process, that means that means a lot. So thank you for for inviting me on for this, letting me just talk your ear off for a while. But again, just want to say how appreciative, how awesome it is that what you're doing with that piece. I really want to thank Elizabeth for coming on the podcast. It was great hearing about her D3 hockey experience, her transition to D1 hockey at UConn, her insights about recruiting, and how the Connecticut staff discovers players. You can connect with Elizabeth on the Huskies website or via her Champs app profile. Links to both are in the show notes.